It's time for Currently with Curator, where I share with you my current obsessions or favorite trends, all of which you can find in my shopping community, Curator. I'm going to let you in on a major style secret for fall, my curated sets. They're so good. And these product bundles have been selected for you by me. Start with the fall style set with a chic poncho, a gold bracelet, and a sculptural bag. It's a $322 value that you can shop for only $79.99. Even better, I'm going to give you 20% off your first purchase when you use code HEELS20. Just head to curator.com. That's C-U-R-A-T-E-U-R.com. Code HEELS20. H-E-E-L-S-20. And stay tuned for the next Currently with Curator for my latest style tips. Hi, everyone. I'm Rachel Zoe, and you're listening to Climbing in Heels. This show is all about celebrating the most extraordinary superwomen in my life who will be sharing their incredible journeys to the top, all while staying beyond glamorous. Today with me, I am so excited to have one of my favorite women in the world, Iman, a Somali-American business person, supermodel, entrepreneur, and philanthropist. She was a muse for designers like Gianni Versace, Terry Mugler, Calvin Klein, Donna Karen, Yves Saint Laurent, and of course, my favorite, Halston. She recently is an executive producer on a new YouTube original six-part docuseries called Supreme Models, and a new episode will be released weekly on Vogue's channel. I am so beyond excited to speak with Iman, so let's get started. Hi, darling. Oh my God, I miss you so much. How are you? How are you? I'm so good. How are you? I'm okay. And how are the, how's the kids? They're so good. They're so, I mean, they're 11 and eight. I can't believe it. I, how, how are yours? Big, old. Yeah. I'm grandmother. So yeah, (laughs) my kids are old and they're uh, older and I have three uh, grandchildren. I cannot believe you have grandchildren. Yes. (laughs) Do they call you grandma or do you have another name? Nana. Oh, I'm so happy to see you. You look stunning. Oh, thank you. You I do not. Oh my God, (laughs) you. Um, So I started this podcast, Climbing in Heels, because there are so many incredible superwomen in my life that I've met along my journey in my life um, and in my career. And you have always stood out as just one of the most elegant, beautiful souls, um, just beyond your actual physical beauty, you've just always been this ray of light in, in those crazy rooms in my life. And you know what I'm talking about when you walk into those rooms and it's crazy. And I would always feel very lost and very small and very, you know, intimidated. And you were just always this strikingly tall, beautiful, but kind and friendly and still funny, always funny person in my life. And so before I was getting on, I was, I was thinking about 
your journey and what an incredible journey it's been. And I mean, we, it would take us years to get through that. But mm-hmm. I do want to talk about, because everybody knows who you are. Everybody knows Iman, the queen. And so for my listeners, I think it's very important to know, you know, I call this podcast Climbing in Heels because I think that so many of the women I know that get to where they are, they don't sacrifice being a woman for it. They don't sacrifice embracing their beauty and femininity as a woman um, and using their superpowers in various ways. And you're such a good example of that. And so what I want to go to is just a little bit from the beginning of like, who were you as this child? Were you always this person that was like, I want to do a million things in my life. I need to do this, this, this. Or were you just like, chill? I can't imagine that you were, but please tell me. (laughs) <laughs> yes. First of all, as you said, um, uh, I, I never would have thought of you when you walk into a room that you were small. You, might, <laughs> you, you are not a small personality. Let's put it that way. So, so I don't know what you're talking about being intimidated. You know, you own the room when you walk oh, in, regardless, so regardless of how high your heels were. <laughs> <laughs> my journey really it was I, I never in, I never envisioned myself of where my trajectory or journey took me right um, I was always intending to to major in political science and follow the footsteps of my father who was an ambassador so I was more into politics I've never seen fashion magazines never wore heels or makeup uh, way before I came to the United States so I was uh, an ambassador's daughter for many years, and then in 1969, my country, Somalia, had a, had a, a military regime took over, and um, all the embassies were closed, and we all came back home, and a lot of people were either put in prison or executed. So my parents decided in the middle of the night in 1972 that we were going to flee the country, and so they put us in a van and just drove to the border of Kenya. Um, And then we crossed over by foot, just with the clothes on our back and instantly became refugees. So so when I arrived in Kenya, that was my lot in life. All I was trying to do was actually trying to get uh, a scholarship uh, uh, to finish the university. And so I had no, no recollection of ever seeing a fashion magazine in my life. And one day, while I was walking down the street uh, on my way from one job to another, um, and uh, Peter Beard, the photographer, stopped me in the street and, um, and asked me if I had ever been photographed. So I had no idea what he was trying to talk about. I thought he was trying to pick me up. By the way, I was going to say, you were probably like, huh, handsome man asking to take my picture. Interesting. Yeah. And so he, he said to me the magic word. He said, I will pay you. And I said, well, how much? He said, well, how much do you need? And I said, $8,000. That was the tuition for one year. And he said, okay, I'll pay you. And he took pictures of me just, and I had a friend with me. And so he took these pictures of me. And then I thought I'll never see him again. And uh, three months later, uh, I didn't have, I was staying at the, in campus at the university, I didn't have a phone. So he had a friend of mine who worked at Pan Am. This is how old I was in oh, 1975. Oh my God. 
He called her and told her to let me know that he wants to talk to me. So I went there to her office the next day, and it was Wilhelmina who owned Wilhelmina Agency, oh my agency, and him on the phone. And uh, they both said we saw the pictures. He, she said she saw the pictures. She, she's going to send me a ticket. I could become a big model. And I had no idea what they were talking about. And the only thing I asked for was a return ticket back home if I didn't like to, if I didn't want to stay. And I still have the ticket. <laughs> oh my God! I bet you do. Yes, I do. I do. And so I came. I came to the United States, and um, and on my third day in New York, I was working for Vogue. That's the sickest thing ever. Yeah, but it just honestly, it just shows that you were just so smart and clever about how you conducted yourself in life, no matter what. Like meaning. You were you were living in a not ideal situation, right? I mean, you left yeah. with nothing but the clothes on your back, basically starting your life. So how old were you when you came to New York? I was barely 19. Barely 19. Barely 19, yeah. Um, but I thought I'm not, that I, I was just really checking out what they were talking about the industry. <laughs> I had no intention of actually staying. And then when things happened for me, it was an opportunity for me to be able to send my brothers and sisters so they can finish their education yep. and take care of my parents. So that's what really the industry has, you know, was helpful to me. Sure. But the trajectory of my life completely changed, you know, in just one instant of being photographed by Peter. And I think, you know, to some extent that still happens now, I feel like, right? I mean, it's such a, a massive conversation, but I mean, you broke down endless, countless walls in the modeling industry. You were so much more than like a beautiful model. It was sort of like Iman, right? It was sort of like the one word, the one name, the like, the, the, and, and you really just stood out because I, what's funny is what I remember so well, of course, is what you wore. you know you know this sort of like model off duty look of like the jeans and t-shirts and sneakers and whatever i don't have any image of you in that i have images of you in like halston bob mackie like i guess one of my questions is to you is like were you obsessed with it were you loving it were you living for the the sort of fashion of it were you like it just seems to me that you had such a deep love and still do to this day i mean look at you right now you're not in jeans and a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I was not obsessed with it because I was learning on the job. But what what uh, it um, opened the doors for me, it is things that regular people are not, uh, don't experience. I mean, my first uh, walk on the runway was for Halston, right? And I, I never forget when I went to see him in his massive Olympic Tower studio with all the... Th- mirrors everywhere uh, and he had an ever-present cigarette in his hand and a hand in his pocket and a turtleneck and a turtleneck but a hand in his pocket even although he was in his office he was always posing <laughs> right it's like tom ford yeah exactly exactly <laughs> and he said to me darling can you walk i said how the fuck do you think i got here <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but he said, "Okay, I know you just came from Africa, but walking here is different than walking out in the street." (laughs) So he and that was the first time I even learned about the word "walking" in our industry, what it means. That it doesn't mean just walking down the street. (laughs) 
Oh, uh, yeah. So, yeah. So, and so you're exposed to that, but really the level of uh, understanding the fashion industry and its designers uh, came to me when one season, Sam Laurent asked me to be his muse for the couture collection. You realize that my whole insides are collapsing as you say this, right? This is literally like, it's it's almost like you're singing this song to me of dreams. Okay. It was yeah. like Halston walking into a studio and then Salron asked you to be his muse. And it was really, first of all, I was clueless what a muse meant. So I thought there were lots of, there would be lots of girl, other girls, but it was only me. And he literally had bolts of fabric that he cut on my body. He was creating the collection as I was standing right there. And when he finished, the collection was called The African Queen. Uh. And David Bailey took the pictures and, uh, you know, that. So you had that level of uh, couture collections and understanding these colors and things and, uh, uh, you know, uh, jewelry and, uh, you know, amazing, amazing high couture uh, environment. And then cut to uh, Terry Mugler and Claude Montana and John Paul Gautier, who was the three... In Paris. And then he uh, became the muse of Terry Mugler, who was like an NGM film director. Because yeah. all his shows looked like, um, like uh, uh, scenes Theater. from movies. Yeah. Scenes, exactly, yeah. exactly. So, you know, so there is that experience. And what, what, what you have in fashion is that we lit- I used to call it literally the circus because, you know, we'll go to Paris. And the and the tents will go up. Yeah. Yes, it's true. It's <laughs> yeah. so true. And we, we and we will be there and doing all kinds of crazy fashions, and the tents come back down, and we moved on to another city. So it's like really running away with the circus, uh, being with fashion. I need to put that on a t-shirt. So I mean, you know, I always like to know what that moment that changed your life and your career was. I mean, it would obviously be the Peter Baird moment, right? I mean, but there was probably many. Yes, there were many. But that was really, uh, uh, you know, that that opened the door. And and then there were like the designers, obviously, who from the Givenchy's to the Yves Saint Laurent, who used lots of 60% of their cabin on runway with black models or yeah. Asian models. So you had really, at, at that time, you really had, uh, uh, through um, inclusivity, yeah. uh, not by word, but really existed, right? But for me, as my trajectory, what changed was really become a muse to, uh, to Terry Mugler because I, I remember every shows that I would go, you know, as a black model, most of, design, uh, most of the hairdressers didn't know how to, what to do with our, with our hair. So immediately they just, just pull it back in a chignon, mm-hmm. right? So Terry Mugler was the first person who said, you know, think of your craziest dreams and we'll, we'll, we'll go for it. And it's for the first time where I met a hairdresser, a black hairdresser in New York who did hair extensions. And she did the hair extensions and I arrived in Paris. And you would think that they have so seen me in a different light. Wow. Because wow. now all of a sudden my hair could be straight, it could be curly, it could be an afro, it could be, you know. So that completely changed the trajectory of my real business because all of a sudden we were seen in a different light. That's so interesting. And then I imagine that the same thing probably happened with makeup. Yeah. Because that's something you and I have talked about that. And and I remember when you launched your, your makeup and you said, I needed to make a, a line of makeup 
for us because nobody at the shows was able to match your your skin tone to the foundation and da da da. And so tell me about that because I think that is so incredibly important to know and I think for everyone to really understand. Yeah, exactly. Because nowadays a lot of young people are really living in an environment where fancy exists. Yes, you know? Yes. So they don't know where actually this could have come from. You yes. know? Uh, um, and as lovely as Rihanna has invented that, there were other smaller companies before I started, man, that, that they were trying to do, but there was not really a marketplace for us. But in 1975, my first job when I arrived was American Vogue. And at the shoot, there was a, a Caucasian model and I, mm-hmm. and was, was with Arthur Elbert, mm-hmm. and there was a, a makeup artist, and he started doing the, 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 uh, the, the white girl's makeup. And then when it, he came to my turn, he asked me a very perplexing question because I knew it was not lost on me that he did not ask that question to the other girl. And he said, did you bring your own foundation? Because he had nothing for me. So he started mixing products and putting it on my face. And, and when I looked in the mirror, I looked gray. And so I thought after that shoot, I thought if I survive this shoot, I'm going to find out some kind of a way that I can get something in the marketplace and mix a product that I can use and take it with me to the shoots because yeah. apparently they don't have it. Yeah. And just the gods of, uh, of, of fashion was looking after me. The pictures were in black and white. Oh. <laughs> and black and white hides multitude of sins. <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh my God, okay. So, so I went and bought all these foundations that I found, things that have a little bit of a tint and I mixed it. And I had the original selfies, the Polaroid. Oh <laughs> my! And I'll God. put the makeup on, and I'll take the, I'll take a picture of myself just to see it, how will it translate sure. into photography? Because at the end of the day, as a model, image is my currency. Of course, nobody cares about how I really look. It's how do I do I translate into photographs? Sure. And and I wanted to have some kind of a control of that, so I never went to a job without having something in my pocket. And uh, when I started doing the runways and I would be doing my makeup, every black model would come to me and she says, let me see what you have. Can I use some of yours? Wow. And so from there, the, the seed of creating Iman Cosmetics was planted in my head. And when I stopped modeling in 1989, I created in 1994 Iman Cosmetics. Wow. Yes. It's weird though. I, don't, I feel like you still model. Uh, yes. I mean, I, I feel like you're still modeling. Like, what do you mean? You're still modeling. You did not stop in 89. What do but you let mean? Let me tell you, in 1989, my last <laughs> show was for Thierry Mugler, his first couture collection. And I said, bye. Uh, and I told everybody that was, uh, that was my last show. And I remember because it was very poignant and very sweet. All the photographers in the Marsh Fet came on the stage and took a last picture with me. Oh. I have to tell you, I have not been to a fashion show since 1989. No. Wait, you haven't been to one or you haven't walked in one? I have not walked in one and I have not been in one. What? Well, if you think about it, I've worked with mostly all the designers. And so whose show am I going to go to and who am I not going to? There's no way that you have not been asked 400 times to walk a show. Not like uh, as recent as last season. I was going to say... But I, I, I 
Now, a word from our sponsor, Genesis. I have to tell you guys about Genesis and how their all-new G90 is my new favorite luxury sedan to date. It's the flagship vehicle of the Genesis line that's perfectly designed for people who defy definition. So basically, all of us who are climbing in heels. That's business owners who are also philanthropists, moms who also show up to red carpet events. I think you get the point. The G90 signature two-line LED headlamp set it apart, giving it a look unlike anything else. Then there's what's inside. A mood curator with four different settings, which engages all your senses, automatically sets the music, ambient lighting, and fragrance in the cabin for when your boys come back from soccer practice and smell like... Anyway, you get the point. With the touch of a button, the available easy closed doors make getting into the car a piece of cake. I love that it has standard front row power massage seats and available rear power seats with massage function for when I need a quick on-the-go massage, which is often. The Genesis G90 is for those who are making their mark on the world and want to enjoy luxurious amenities while they do it. Check out genesis.com for more information on the all-new Genesis G90. That is, it's actually really incredible because how many times do icons retire and then like a month later, they're like, just kidding, just kidding, I'm coming back. And I feel like I've seen it with countless like singers and actors and everyone's like, I'm done, I'm done, I'm quitting, I'm quitting. Even like Tom Brady, quitting, just kidding. But but, but he's going to be in trouble with Giselle if he doesn't keep up the next I know time. it. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, it's, listen. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, okay. Iman Cosmetics. Yeah. It's amazing. It's beautiful. You've done, I feel like hundreds of thousands of things because I just feel like you have such this large presence um, and you have, you have so much to say about things. Yeah. You know, I've, I've written two books, yeah. They're both, uh, you know, uh, very successful books. One was on, on beauty and was called The Beauty of Color. And it was the ultimate guide for skin of color. And and it was not just for black women. It was also for Latinas because yeah. I'm a high, I wrote my foreword and I had Ava Mendez and, you know, Jay Jagger and, you know, yep. and it, everybody under this, under that umbrella as a global community and as beauty uh, that is not the standard of just white. And then I wrote a book called I Am Iman, which was photography in, 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 in my story about how I, from my, where I came from to doing this industry. Um, and, you know, and then during COVID, I was contacted by YouTube and, and these directors with them. Um, and they were going to, they wanted to talk to me about a docuseries that, called Supreme Models, which was based on a book called Supreme Models, which is uh, black models who revolutionized the fashion industry. So I said to them, you know, uh, uh, I said to them, what, what are you bringing to the table that has not been said about black beauty and black models? And they said, uh, are you aware that there has never been a documentary on black beauty or black models? Which was surprising to me at 2021 that there has nothing has existed. So that's how I came on board. And we did the docuseries and it is... Um, Really a beautiful, and it is not more about the trials and tribulations, although we do uh, talk about that, but it's more about the joy and celebration of Black beauty and what that singularly Black fashion model, how she was responsible for cultural 
changes that has been going through in our industry from Black is Beautiful in the 1960s till now. So yeah. there's the whole history of Black moms and Black culture and Black beauty till now to, to what's going on there. And Zendaya is in there, who I Zendaya am. Zendaya is in there. She and even, is. Yeah. How impressed are you with her? I'm beyond. beyond. She is, she's mind-boggling. Yeah, actually. and more importantly, is that how young she is? Uh, it's uh, it's she's actually so unreal. Uh, she's yeah. so she's so young, and mm-hmm. she's so gifted, and yeah. she's so um, she's so clear. Yeah. In like even just when she, I've seen her win countless awards in person and from afar, and I have to say, like the way that she speaks yes. with conviction and. At such a young age, she's just, she's really special. I mean, she's so, so impressive. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I, that's what I'm usually I'm impressed with is the young, how young she is and how together she is, which is, Unreal. Um, yeah, um, no, she's lovely. She's lovely. I, I had the pleasure of, she asked me to award her, to, to, to give her the award as a fashion icon award. She's as like, it should be. But both deserved, by the way. I loved watching you get that award. That was the oh, best. Thank you. Thank you. That was the best. So, okay, so you've had obviously quite a journey. In any journey, there's so many adversities. There's so <laughs> many challenges. And, you know, the thing is, I think you've broken down so many walls, ceilings, doors for people. On the one hand, you know, it was a different time than it is now. Now I feel like there's so much more inclusivity and everything like that. And there's so much less tolerance for such terrible treatment to to any model, honestly. What strikes you as something that you'll like never forget? Something that really knocked you down where you were like, I cannot believe this just happened. And I cannot believe how angry I am. But guess what? This is going to, this pissed me off so much that now I have to like, do more, I have to change this, or I have to, you know, I imagine there's been some triggers. Yes. Uh, it, the first one was uh, when I arrived in New York uh, in 1975 and I started working, I found out that um, that the pay between black models and white models was not the same. Black models oh, were being paid less for the same job. So I said to Wilhelmina, I said, listen, uh, definitely this is an racist act. But let's take race even out of the equation. I said, what I want, what I'm demanding is for services rendered. If somebody is doing the same job like I am, I want to be paid the same amount. And it was like, then the clients would not go for it, blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay, then I'm going to, I'm not going to be working. I just want to tell you, I'm not going to be working till this changes. It took three months, but the first client did make that change and that became that change but that was in 1975 so uh forward to 2013 i'm not modeling anymore i'm only doing imam cosmetics uh, a friend of mine contacts me uh by the name bethan hardison i was just gonna ask you about that queen yeah and she said uh, i'm gonna send you an article in the new york times this is 2013 and the mm-hmm. article said the blonde leading the blonde. And it was w- what was happening on the runways across Europe and now in the United States, there was a blackout of black models. 
there was not one single black model used in that season, right? But we're talking about now, we're going on a three-year period. I had no idea because I was not in the industry. Right, right. And so, Beth Ann, I, and Naomi Campbell have sat together and, and looked through all the collections that there's, and there was absence of black models across the board. We've never seen anything like it. And so we decided to write to the CFDA, and then we wrote to the, to the equivalent in Paris, in London, and in Milan. And what was really happening uh, was the designers uh, said that they were having too many shows per year, that they have started hiring casting agents. And the casting agent decides, uh, he talks to the designer, and they come up with the look of what the show is about. The casting agents decided to tell the modeling agents, we are not seeing black models in these couple of coming seasons. So don't send us any black models. And literally, there was the absence of black models. And that's what it was called, the blackout. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Absolutely. And so um, so what it what it really what transpired, because I, I, was, I was trying to find out what, what happened, how did this come about? And what was transpiring was that there was an influx of Eastern European models coming into the scene. And um, the big designers, specifically like Prada, decided that they would have enough of the cult of personality of a model. Like, um, you don't want the show to be Naomi Campbell, uh, right. Linda Lista, Christy Turner, right. Right. the names, right? So democratized, so the design, the focus is on the design. So they democratized that, and so they have all these white, uh, Eastern European models, all white, all skinny. And so there was no reason to have a black model because she does not, does not fit this category anymore. And once Prada started, every designer followed that route. And in within three, four years, there was no black model on the road. And so that was the change that we were trying to make. And the change was instant. And it came actually from people like Prada that all of a sudden when they realized what was going on. Right. Um, and they corrected themselves. Not only that they started hiring black models on the runway, but then more importantly, they started using black models on in their advertisement. Yeah. So yeah. there was a palpable change. And, and that's also what brought up the inclusivity part of the conversation that we were talking about. Yeah. This was not saying that the, the designers are racist, but their actions uh, and the actions of their casting agent is racist to act. Yeah. Yeah. I specifically said, I mean, who's more busier than Tom Ford? No designer is busier than Tom Ford. And he does his own casting agent. Of course. He he looks, he, he knows exactly who's in his fashion yep. suit. 100%. The black, the Asian, the white, he knows that. Yeah. So that's so that's what we were trying to bring to the forefront that you can't give the power to a casting agent no. to be able to say that uh, on your behalf because at the end of the day is your name, the designer's name is being tainted. Oh my God. I'm like, I'm literally like my jaws to the floor because I was like in this whole world very heavily at that time. And I'm literally running through my head of like what was going on in that moment. And I, I feel like right now we're in a beautiful time in modeling. I do. I think we're finally, I think we're at a great place where I'm seeing so much diversity and everywhere, which I'm, I'm personally loving so, so much. And I think, um, it's only taken what 50 years, but we're here. Yeah, you know, beauty is beauty. You know, of course, I, I hear that 
the idea like a girl like Precious Lee or Ashley yeah. Graham is not beautiful. It, it goes over my head. I'm like, that uh, mentality, it's, um, it's a declasse, it's old-fashioned. And young people, what's, that's what's so great, you know. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you'll see it in your voice. It's like they don't see that because those are things that are taught yes. with the family. Yeah, They don't see that. They, they see it everybody. I mean, my daughter, who's now 20, 22, has never called one of her friends white or black. No. So it's that idea, thank God, the young generation are much aware and they are um, demystifying it and breaking it down that they are not, they're not going to be part of that. So that's what good news is that there is a hopefully young generation that comes up that's going to be the change of what we need. And I imagine, I want to talk about Beth Ann because yeah. Beth Ann is, she's one of my all-time favorite people. And I, I yeah. actually was fortunate enough to literally see her in the last month. I think I saw her at an event and I ran over and gave her the biggest hug. And she, I hadn't seen her in probably two years or more. And she is such a force. And I think that Beth Ann is someone that I want my listeners to know about because she, when I talk about game changers, game changing forces in an, in an industry, I've known her my entire <laughs> career. And she always felt like this sort of like this mother figure in fashion yeah. and looking after everyone and taking care of everybody. But she is just extraordinary. And I feel like She's been a mentor in everything for you, I imagine. Oh, absolutely. Been my closest friend. She was my maid of honor when I married my husband, David. But I met her on my probably the first week in New York. And, and uh, I walked in into Stephen Burroughs' uh, studio, and she was his assistant. And uh, everybody assumed at that time that I didn't speak a word of English, right? And so people would talk around me. And, and how, many, how many languages did you speak? Let me correct that notion. Five. <laughs> Casual. So the man <laughs> was there and they gave me the dress to try. I put on the dress and they gave me heels. And I've had a terrible time putting one heel on and trying to put the other one while I was standing. Because right? you're so tall. I have no problem with that. <laughs> <laughs> I know friends of mine who sleep in heels. <laughs> yeah. So no, she got on her knees to tie the shoes, to, to help me with the shoes. And um, I've never forgot that act of kindness. And we've been friends since then. She's the greatest. Yes. So I have a question. So do you ever sit back and say, okay, I've done... I don't know, 10,000 amazing things in my life. Yeah. I'm good. I can just chill out now. Or do you just go, what's next? I haven't even scratched the surface. Like, when do you pat yourself on the back and say, okay, I, I can take a break? Because I don't. I'm guilty of n never doing that. So I'm, I'm curious if you do. No, I don't pat myself in the back because I, I love to see how young girls who are getting into starting this this business, especially fashion business, how they are much aware of who came before them and who helped them in, the, in this journey and who opened those doors that they are now easily walking into, right? Mm -hmm. But then that they decide also that then it's upon them to move that needle forward mm -hmm. more than we did, right? So, mm -hmm. so that to me, it's a comfort because you know that you, whatever you've done, you've touched some lives. Yeah. Um, but no, I'm, I think I'm better than you. I can just lie down and say I'm not doing anything. 
And do you, and do you have any more specific like dreams where you're like, okay, I'm not done. I still have to do this. Or do you just say like, life is going to be as it comes now? I, I think life is as it comes now because yeah. I've learned, for one thing if I've learned is that, you know, man plans and God laughs. <laughs> I, I live by that. I, I, I just don't plan anything. Yeah, I think yes, uh, if I was in my 20s, definitely I would be planning. But now I know things as, it, it, they, they unfold themselves. You know what I mean? Things come unfold themselves. But I don't know. I mean, listen, I'm 67, so anything is possible. One thing I'd like to do, which COVID stopped it for me, was that I'd like to travel around the world in a lot of places that I have not been. Mm-hmm. So that is that's my life journey. I really, really want to go to all the places that I have not been. Well, you have earned that. And I could talk to you for another 26 hours, but I'm not going to because I know you don't have that kind of time. Yeah, I'm going to mention the Doki series. Uh, it's uh, Supreme Models. Uh, it's a six-part Doki series, and it started yesterday, and it will be exclusive on YouTube uh, every Monday. I have to say to everyone listening, you have to watch this. I have only seen bits yeah. of beginnings, and I can tell you, I cannot stop watching it. The, the clothes, the Halston, and then Zendaya and Tommy. And listen, you are the queen of queen of queens. You have been such an advocate for women. I think that you have been such a game changer in this industry in so many ways. You know, as someone who has been in the industry as my entire adult life, you know that very often women cannot be that nice in this business. Certainly many were not to me. And I think many people honestly weren't, but I, I have to say you have just always been the kindest, classiest, amazing human being to me always as a friend, as a mentor. You were literally the first one to hold my very first collaboration that I ever did in my whole life with Judith Lieber. Yes, and, and I have still have that bag, but also I have in my archives, Rachel Zoe's old tuxedos. All oh, of your tuxedos I have, I black, you. white, uh, um, velvets. I have all of them. <laughs> I love you. I love you. I, I can't. I can't ever thank you enough for your support because I think you know better than anybody that when you're a designer, especially starting out, when you see someone in your clothes, there's just really nothing like it. And when it's Iman, I'm not going to lie. It's a bit of a surreal moment. (laughs) But I do love you madly. Iman, I thank you because you've just made such a profound impact on me, on so many people in the industry, on so many young women coming up in it who are lost. And you have, like you said, opened the door for so many. And also, I just want to say, I mean, you were amused to Saint Laurent. Like, can we just close on that moment? And Terry yes. McGlair, thank you, my <laughs> living mom. my thank dream, my friend, living my dream. Thank you, thank you. Hope to see you soon. Bye, sweetheart. Thank you. Each week, I'm going to finish the show with something called Ask Rachel. Basically, you just DM at Climbing in Heels pod on Instagram and submit your questions. Every week, I will answer two questions regarding work, life, because I really love interacting with you guys and I really love hearing from you. So let's get right into it and kick off with... Um, A very funny question, very ironic question, because my team sort of makes fun of me 
all the time. They call me a vampire. Um, and this question is, how many hours a night do you sleep? And the funny thing about that is, <laughs> I have a work husband. His name is Matt Walker. And when he first started working with us, he actually texted me and he said, I have a question. He said, do you actually sleep? I, I'm just trying, or do you just nap? Because I'm trying to figure out because you texted me at 2 a.m. with a work question. Then you responded at 4.30. And then you texted me a new question at 6. And then that same night, you texted me again at like one. He's like, so I'm just wondering, are they like naps or do you sleep consecutive hours? And it's funny because I never really thought about it, to be honest, because I've lived this like insane life as a stylist and really just someone who my whole life really just was never a big sleeper. Um, always the first one to wake up on sleepovers, always the one waiting for everybody to get up, um, always being up hours in college. I would still wake up at six, seven in the morning after a night out when everyone slept till two, three in the afternoon. My innermost team likes to joke that I sleep literally like a vampire, like, or that I just don't because I wake up with like a full face of makeup or eye makeup and like my hair probably has not moved all that much. But I think it's because I, I don't know, I feel like my brain doesn't really shut down. But I do think I'm definitely one of those people that can live on less sleep than most. I think to properly answer the question, I would say between four and five hours a night. I don't think eight hours is in my history of sleeping ever. Yeah, and I hate to say that I think my eldest son, Sky, may have inherited that um, blessing and curse of not needing as much sleep. So I, I would say that a big part of my life, probably I run on adrenaline and excitement for what I do, but I would say I definitely am not an eight to 10 hour a night sleeper, have never been, probably will never be. Second question, what is my morning routine? If you can imagine an episode of Beat the Clock um, or like supermarket sweep, that's a little bit of my morning routine. It's up at 5.45 or six, fly out of bed, um, typically woken by one or both of my boys. Um, go down, make breakfast, pack lunch boxes, pack backpacks, get the kids dressed. It's basically an hour and 15 minutes of just literally how much can you do as quickly as possible. Um, and Roger all the while is at Starbucks. <laughs> Getting Starbucks. Um, but I would say then my routine is literally like 10 minute makeup, put seven serums on my face before I put on my makeup and comb my hair and, um, and, and throw something on and start working. Honestly, that's pretty much my life. I'm typically shooting at least one thing during the day. Um, and, and that's it. No day is the same. The only thing consistent is that beat the clock hour and 10 of getting the kids out the door for school. That conversation was just mind-blowing for me because 
truthfully, I could talk to Iman about Iman for just days, weeks, months. I couldn't even scratch the surface of the extraordinary life that she's lived and what she's done to sort of break down walls and shatter glass ceilings for black women, for black models, for black makeup, for inclusivity, not just in fashion, but in all industries around us um, and around fashion, because she's just a woman on a mission in a way that somehow she seems to do it with ease and a sense of humor above all. Because, I mean, (laughs) she actually walked in to Halston Studio, who's one of my idols of idols of idols. So even just her saying, I walked into Halston Studio, mirrors everywhere, like the whole thing just gave me chills. But the fact that she walked in and he asked her, how did you get here? Can you walk? And she said, how the fuck do you think I got here? I mean, I think that just kind of sums her up because just she's a woman that stood backstage with all these models and didn't say a word because they didn't think she understood English and she speaks five languages fluently. I just think it's a testament to who she is, what she's done, and, you know, what she continues to do um, with such grace while doing it. She's so beyond impressive, and I'm very excited for what's to come because she's definitely one of my heroes, my mentors, and um, the queen. Iman, please, everyone, watch her YouTube original six-part docuseries, Supreme Models. It is so good. A new episode is released weekly on Vogue's channel. So thank you so much for listening to Climbing in Heels. And don't forget to write a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really makes me so happy to see them. And while you're at it, follow me on at Rachel Zoe and at Climbing in Heels pod on Instagram for more updates on upcoming guests, episodes, and all things Curator. I will talk to you next week. Get excited. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.